Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Welcome everyone to this special 50th episode celebration. Today's episode is a three-way celebration. 50 episodes, the one-year anniversary of the podcast, and also 100,000 downloads. Yes, my mind is absolutely blown away. So I want to celebrate by doing something different in this episode. You will hear one story which has nothing to do with true crime, but it does have a connection to schools. It's just a bizarre but fascinating story that I came across while researching other stories, and the song you heard at the start is a clue about the story. And also, while I was Googling stories, I came across some bizarre rules and punishments that some schools have, which I'll share with you and also some schools that operate in very unusual places. So that's what you will be hearing today. Firstly, let's say hello to our Facebook group members. We have Carmela D. Jayetta, Birgit Vivian Lovelock, Jen Molina, Yamin Dinevici, and this last person was certainly meant to be a part of the group. So hello to Apple Thanikin. Great name, right? Let's now get started with our country of focus, which is Canada. The story that you're going to hear today came from Canada. So here are a few interesting facts about this country. Well, when I think of Canada, one word comes to mind, freezing. Besides the cold and ice hockey, the other things I know about Canada comes from the true crime podcast, Dark Poutine, based in Canada hosted by Mike and Scott. So I know that a toque is a hat, poutine is a dish of French fries with cheese and gravy, and they apparently eat what's called Nanaimo bars. Other than that, I just think of Canada as cold, 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 probably the furthest away from the climate here where I live in Australia, on the eastern coast with its lovely beaches. The coldest temperature in Canada was recorded in 1947 and it was minus 63 degrees Celsius or minus 81 Fahrenheit, which is roughly the same temperature as the surface of Mars. In 1962, there was a town in Canada that recorded the fastest and biggest temperature change. The temperature went from minus 19 Celsius to 22 degrees Celsius in only one hour, which was due to a warm, dry wind that came off the Rocky Mountains. Now, this next fact floored me. Being so cold, you wouldn't think that Canada has a desert, but it does. It is 15 miles long and is the only desert that has a boardwalk for visitors to walk on. 
Canada has its own Loch Ness Monster, which is called the Ogopogo and lives in Lake Okanagan in British Columbia. There are some places in Canada that have many bears, so it's normal for people not to lock their cars or houses so that they can make a quick escape from a bear attack. And this is an interesting fact. It is illegal to kill a Sasquatch in British Columbia. So does that mean that you're allowed to kill a Sasquatch in all of the other places in Canada? And finally, smelling bad is illegal in Canada. Anyone offending a public place with an offending smell could face two years in jail. Fascinating. I found this story and just had to tell it because it's so bizarre and the man at the centre of the story is so eccentric, although I would absolutely love to meet him and see for myself what he has created. For this story, we will meet an 83-year-old man named Bruce Beach, who lives with his 90-year-old wife in a rural town north of Toronto in Canada. About 40 years ago, in the early 1980s, he began building something which he has only recently shared with the outside world. Bruce originally came from Kansas in the US. He had been in the Air Force and worked as a radio control tower operator and later as an electrical engineer and also a computer science teacher. Bruce had lived through the Cold War era when the rivalry between the US and the Soviet Union was threatening to result in nuclear war. President John F. Kennedy advised people to build bomb shelters and stock up on canned food. Bruce firmly believed a nuclear war was imminent and he felt the highly populated parts of the US would be targeted. So he decided to move his wife and children to somewhere safer outside of the US. His wife was from a small rural town in Canada and this is where they decided to go in 1970, purchasing a 12-acre property. Bruce then set about on an ambitious project to protect his family from a nuclear war. And yes, he was what we could call a doomsday prepper. He set about constructing his own doomsday shelter, which would come to be known as the largest shelter in North America. Not only that, but what he used to construct the shelter is even more fascinating which is where the connection to schools comes in. His plan was to build an underground bunker, but this bunker was going to be supersized, and in fact, it would turn out to be 10,000 square feet. So, you may have initially had an image of a small underground shelter. So, how on earth did he manage to build something so large underground? Well, he dug out a large section of his property and wanted to bury something in the ground and then cover it over with cement and soil. Remember, this all started about 40 years ago. Today, when we look at an aerial view of his property, you would not even know what is buried there. So he needed something that he could bury which would withstand the weight of cement and soil. So, have you got any ideas? 
Remember, it has something to do with schools. Well, I won't keep you in suspense any longer. He used school buses. Yes, school buses. He ended up burying 42 school buses. And I will now go on to explain what he did. He chose school buses because the roofs were made with very strong steel to protect their child passengers. He believed they would be strong enough to support the weight of the concrete and soil. When the seats were emptied, he felt there would be plenty of room to accommodate people and the supplies that would be needed. He then enlisted the help of volunteers to dig out the ground to accommodate the 42 buses. As you can imagine, this would have been a huge task. So, how did he get the volunteers to agree to such back-breaking work? Well, Bruce offered them guaranteed admission into the shelter in the event of a disaster. With the earth dug out, the buses were then moved into place. Side by side, and from an aerial shot, you can see them arranged tightly together, with some horizontal and some vertical. But all were arranged like a tight patchwork quilt. It's absolutely fascinating. It was like a series of mazes, with each bus being connected to each other. So you could walk through the buses from one to the other. Then two feet of concrete was poured over the entire structure with an additional 14 feet of dirt placed on top. So how did Bruce know that this shelter would be structurally sound? Well, he worked with an engineer who had worked on the construction of Toronto's subway system. So Bruce figured that this man knew what he was talking about. Any ideas what he named the shelter? Yes, he named it the Ark 2. After Noah's Ark, what else would he name it? How perfect. Bruce believes that it will be able to accommodate 500 people in the event of a nuclear disaster. And here is Bruce talking about the purpose of the shelter and the buses he used. I am the founder of ARC-2. Some people call it the largest nuclear fallout shelter in North America, but you have to put a lot of qualifications on that. Privately owned, the government has some big ones. But this one is built out of 42 school buses. They're all buried underground here. And the purpose of this facility is for, obviously, a nuclear war, but our purpose is reconstruction of society after nuclear war. And the facility itself serves several purposes, such as being an underground orphanage, a distribution facility, uh, emergency supplies to other areas, and a refugee uh, processing facility. We have all of that here. I actually started building shelters before 1980. The first buses, this is built out of 42 school buses. And the first buses were put in in 1980 tow truck drivers knew that I'd take buses and they'd call me up and they'd say to you, would you like another bus? And I'd say, oh, sure. And uh, they would take it to a, a junkyard first and they'd take out all the windows and the seats and I'd give them $300. The purpose of a nuclear shelter is that there is a nuclear war and there's radiation 
then this protects the inhabitants from the radiation. But that's not the end of the story, as what he had inside the shelter is equally as fascinating. The only part of the shelter that can be seen is the entrance door. Once inside, you descend down the 14 feet of dirt and then reach the extensive labyrinth of buses. But before exploring the shelter, all visitors must be screened and decontaminated. Just inside the entrance is a double sink, a shower and a bathtub specifically for children. Any food or items brought into the shelter must first be decontaminated. The shelter has electricity, plumbing and water. There is also a septic tank which is large enough for a motel and a drinkable water well. He has a number of diesel generators to keep everything running. The shelter also has two industrial-sized kitchens and Bruce has even enlisted a friend who is a cook to join them in case of a disaster. He has stocked up on non-perishable foods like canned food, but over the many years he has had to dispose of much of the food because it has expired, so the stock is being continually replenished. And now, just listen to the various rooms he has set up. There are living spaces and also sleeping spaces, which are called the bunk rooms. There is a radio communication centre, a doctor's office, a surgery, a library, day rooms, a mortuary, and even a dentist chair. And also restrooms, a laundry room, conference room, chapel, exercise areas, and a nursery with a separate cry room. He even has classrooms so that children can continue with their education. There is also a room with toys and a play area to serve as a playground. Bruce also set up security cameras out of old Commodore computers. And can you believe an old rusted exercise bike has been made into a pedal-powered grinding mill for wheat? The shelter also allows for contact with the outside world with a radio system that broadcasts both AM and FM frequencies. Bruce says it is strong enough to reach across Canada and also the US. As already mentioned, the volunteers have gained automatic admission to the shelter. Anyone else who is interested is encouraged to help with maintenance work on the shelter to gain their spots. Bruce believes that he is not like other preppers, in that he has a different motivation. He sees preppers as being inspired by personal safety, but he considers himself selfless, as he is preparing to keep a large number of people safe. His wife Jean is 90 years old and partially blind, but has been supportive of his life's mission, helping with the administrative work. When asked why she fell in love with her husband, this was her response. I've often been asked that question, she said laughing. I almost married another guy, but my dad broke it up, and I'm glad he did. Bruce takes care of me, and I take care of him. However, their adult children are not particularly interested in the shelter and have long suffered from their father's obsession. The construction of the shelter did not get approval. Therefore, the local authorities have tried a number of times to shut down the bunker. 
he's had to appear in court more than 30 times. The Ontario Fire Department is also not a fan of the shelter. They had sealed up the structure twice in the past, but Bruce just opened it up again. Other preppers have also been absolutely amazed at what Bruce constructed. Here is a quote from someone from the Ontario Prepper Survival Network. Quote, When you go inside the bunker for the first time, it's like a different planet. It's like you're on Mars. When you hear about this concept of 42 school buses underground, to fathom it is nothing compared to actually going in and actually seeing it. It's crazy in there. Bruce understands that people think he is crazy. And he says, People think, what a nut. And I know that, but I don't mind. I understand the world looks upon me that way. I am not a doomsayer because I am very optimistic about the future. I have often been asked, why not get a life, enjoy life and quit worrying about doomsday? The answer is that I don't see the purpose of life nor happiness in life measured in how many rounds of golf I might play, but rather in service to my fellow man. He added, I used to always say the end of the world was going to be two years from now, he says, cackling with glee. But now I say it's going to be two weeks from now. And if I am wrong, I will revise my date. (laughs) Isn't that funny? There are so many photos online of his shelter. If you just Google Bruce Beach Bunker, you really need to look at the photos yourself to see what he has created. I would absolutely love to take my class on an excursion through the bunker. They would absolutely love exploring all of the tunnels. Bruce also has a website and a YouTube channel. Personally, I think the idea is totally over the top in terms of doomsday coming, but you can't deny that he is a very intelligent man and the whole project was a way to utilize his many skills. Even in his 80s, you can see that he is as sharp as a tack. I think this intense passion of his has kept him mentally fit. You know what they say about the mind, you use it or you lose it. But I think good on him. I just love people like this who are outside of the norm. So take a look yourself at the photos and I'm sure that you'll be amazed as well. Now let's go on to some bizarre school rules and punishments. A school in the UK has stopped the age-old practice of students raising their hands to answer questions. They say that it's always the same children who put their hand up, which I agree, and instead the teachers choose the students to answer. But some parents say that this makes their children feel nervous. At a school in the US, they have limited number of times that students are allowed to go to the toilet, which is only three times in a semester. What? Is a semester in the US the same as here in Australia, which is half a year? This is just so ridiculous. Admittedly, it is a high school, as you would have a lot of accidents in the primary school if you had this rule. But this is just so extreme. And if the students do go over the quota, they then have to make it up after school. Apparently, the rule was introduced because too many students were going to the bathroom just to miss class. In another school in the US, 
they banned Ugg boots, not because it violated the dress code, but because girls were smuggling in banned cell phones. There is a school in the US that requires students to smile when they walk through the hallways between their classes. If they are caught not smiling, they are sent to the office to talk about their problems. And if they don't want to discuss their problems, they get a detention. Oh my goodness. If you ask students why they like school, it's not usually because of maths or English, but because of their friends. Well, a school in the UK has banned best friends and has encouraged children to play in larger groups. So what would be the thinking around this? Because it supposedly protects them from the trauma of breaking up with friends. So should people not have boyfriends or girlfriends or get married because of the trauma if they split up? Of course not. Kids need to learn that this is a part of life. They shouldn't be protected in a bubble because that's not the real world. What about the long-held practice of teachers using red pen to mark student work? Teachers in the UK are not allowed to use red ink, but must use a more calming colour instead. Red ink can supposedly harm kids psychologically as the colour demotivates students or brings fear and pressure. And what about this absolutely ridiculous rule of banning students from running around during playtime? Yes, that's correct. There is a school which bans running for safety reasons. As well as these ridiculous rules, I also came across some bizarre punishments and practices in schools. So have a listen to these. In China and other places in Asia, there is a punishment where students have to kneel on frozen peas. I've seen a picture of a student with these pea imprints on her knees. So it's just a whole lot of round holes in her knees where she was kneeling on them. There are also a few schools in the US that make students wear bracelets which have chips inside them, which enables the school to track the students. Also in China, some schools use a face recognition system which allows them to track students who may be inattentive or daydreaming in class. When detected, the system notifies the teacher. Oh, oh my dear, if I had one of these, it would be buzzing all the time because that's just how kids are. And what about this one? So when you went to school, what happened when your teacher was away? You got a substitute teacher, right? Well, this doesn't happen in Japan. The class doesn't get a replacement teacher. The students are left alone to study on their own as they are very disciplined and can be trusted to be left alone. I can't even leave my class to go for a quick toilet break, but I think I would love teaching in Japan. And now, just listen to these bizarre laws in different states of the US. In Georgia, it is illegal to read a book to your friends after 2.45 a.m. Now, I've been thinking about this and I cannot think of a reason why this law would be in place. So if you live in Georgia, can you please let me know? In West Virginia, children may not attend school if their breath smells of wild onions. In Alaska, a child is not allowed to build a snowman 
taller than him or herself at school. In Arkansas, teachers with a bob in their hair may forfeit pay rises. What? In California, elementary schools are forbidden from hosting poker tournaments. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you don't want to be encouraging students to become gamblers, so I get that one. In New York City, they have banned the words dinosaurs, Halloween, birthdays, and dancing from city-issued standardized tests. In Maryland, it is illegal to curse on a playground. In California, it's against the law to bring your dog to school. In Florida, it's against the law to transport livestock on a school bus, as you do. And finally, in Wyoming, it is against the law to spit on the steps of a school. Aren't these just fascinating? Now, let's go on to look at some of the very unusual schools around the world. Firstly, in Bangladesh, they have floating schools on boats. Each boat has computers, internet access and a library. Power is provided through solar panels. The boat picks up students from the docks and riversides and then they find somewhere to dock for the classes to begin. This next school is in Argentina and school actually takes place in a soccer stadium. It has 2,000 students and can be challenging at times as sometimes soccer games occur at the same time as school. So I'm just thinking, why do they even need to have school in a stadium? Is it because they just don't have the money to build the number of schools that they need and they just find places to have classes? And the next one is in New York. There is a school which is especially for LGBT students. This is for students who have faced difficulties in regular schools. In the past, anti-gay groups have tried to burn the building down, but it is still in operation today. And also in the US, there is a school which can be found in a fallout shelter, which had been built during the Cold War. <laughs> I wonder if it was built out of 42 buses. It has decontamination showers, and the structure is capable of resisting radiation and withstanding a 20 megaton blast. They have built a playground on the roof for the children. In Brooklyn, New York, there is a school where there is no curriculum or rules. The students make their own rules. They decide what they want to learn. There are no tests, homework or grades. As the students run the classes, the teachers only work as moderators. And this next school is in China. There was once a school in a cave as there was no money to construct a building. It had eight teachers and about 200 students coming from remote villages. However, the school was eventually closed down with the government saying China was not a society of cavemen. And finally, this last school is for adults, not children. In Spain, prostitution is legal. And would you believe a school was opened to teach a course in professional prostitution? 
Here's what the website says. We want to offer a course that will make you professionals with more wisdom and greater security. Working in the world of paid sex is not easy. It requires emotional intelligence, great lovemaking skills, a great capacity for empathy, social skills, and self-confidence. So there you go. Some very interesting things happening in schools around the world. And now one final thing I'd like to share with you before we finish this episode. Here are some interesting stats about the podcast. Apple for the Teacher has been listened to in 91 countries. And out of those countries, the US has the most listeners with 54%. Australia has 23% of the listeners. And then the UK and Canada have 6% each. And there are many other countries that are around 1% or less than 1%. Now, what about the gender? Well, females make up 76% of the listeners and the males 21%. And what about the ages? Well, most people listening to this podcast are between 45 to 59 years of age. And then we go backwards to 35 to 44 is the next age group. And then it goes back from there. And the smallest age group is the 0 to 17 years of age, which I would hope would be the smallest age group. So isn't that all interesting? So everyone, I just want to say thank you for your support with my podcast. I really cannot believe that I'm up to 50 episodes, that it's been a year and that I've had 100,000 downloads. I could never have imagined that I'd been in this position. It's just gone so quickly. And that's because I just love doing it. And time has just flown. I'm constantly amazed by the stories that I find. So thank you to everyone who has listened, all the podcasters who have supported the podcast and promoted it. It has been a fantastic journey. I've learned so much. I'd now like to give you a preview of the next episode. It's called Daddy Daycare. Here's a summary. The man worked at a daycare centre. What was he accused of? So, to end this episode, I will leave you with this conversation between a parent and their child. Parent. What did you learn at school today? Student. Apparently not enough, as we have to go back tomorrow. Bye for now. And remember to be a good apple.